It's 6.27 p.m. And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandspring. Don't worry, we didn't have Darth Vader as a guest. That was just Ian breathing down his mic. So hello, man. Did I go all... <laughs> yeah, there was... <laughs> but, don't, but don't worry. Um, so we're here. We are. And to be fair, the excellence of execution of the start of the show belies the somewhat shambolic nature of our pre-planning approach to today's show. So... Um, it's yeah. going to be a wild ride, isn't it? Just just a bit. Um, I mean, we're not entirely making it up as we go along. We have actually done some research. Um, but we had a planned episode for today. But um, unfortunately, that didn't kind of come to pass. Um, and to, it's fair to say both of our weeks got on top of us. And um, we didn't kind of really resolve what we were going to do instead until yesterday. Um, so apologies. Um, but today we're, be- we're talking about the last of something. The last of the summer wine. No. <clears throat> no. And our and our survey said. Um so yeah, so today we're gonna, we've picked out three of the motions that will be discussed at Tuesday's full council meeting. Indeed. Which we understand to be the last full council meeting of this council before the election. Yes, indeed. Taking it down and taking it down and taking it down my key. I don't get that. I want to give you a motion. Um, still don't get it. Nice dance classic. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so last chance of the... Uh, so the last time we're going to see the, uh, the, the, the big three. GVJ, Donna Jones and Stephen Morgan all going head to head in the chamber before all change... And uh, we move into a new era of Portsmouthian politics with three new leaders. And we know one, which is, uh, which so far we have invited onto the pod, but we haven't been able to get him so far. But fingers crossed, we'll keep trying. And yeah. then we'll, uh, we'll see who the uh, blue and yellow team go for after the election has been held, I think. Yeah, so the, so the Reds have gone kind of like ahead of the starting gun and, and sorted out who their new leadership team will be. Uh, which is Councillor George Fielding and a friend of the podcast, uh, Councillor Cal Corkery, um, as deputy leader. Um, so congratulations to both. But yeah, hopefully we're trying to line up something with them. But um, yeah, we'll... Um, and in advance of the getting into the meat of the bones, how's your week been? It's been all right. Um, I've, um, I, um, I won't... Um, I won't bore you with with um, what exactly that I'm doing, but I've um, I started a new job this week, so I've actually been working somewhere other than inside my flat for Ooh. the first time in about two and a half years. Did you commute? I did. I I I a quick a quick bus journey um, takes me takes me into work. Um, so yeah, um, it's been an eye opening week. Lovely people. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I must admit, I thought it was going to be stranger than it actually did. I kind of got, I've got, I feel like I've got back into a bit of a routine and it wasn't as much, I thought I was going to, if I'm honest, I thought I was going to be quite anxious about leaving the house, um, and working outside of the home again, but, um, but I haven't been, um, but I guess that's made easier by great people that you work with. How's your week been, mate? 
it's been superb. It's been yeah, really good. I've I, I brought to I, we've chatted a bit about the um, the guide dogs guideline, which is their national um, centralisation of all telephone services. So that we've got a great team now. Who anybody who is living with sight loss, their friends or family, can phone us up and we'll help them out with all sorts of advice and support. And um, yeah, it's a project that sort of filled my weeks for probably the last six seven months which by guide dog standard is pretty rapid but no we signed the document on friday that handed that over to business as usual so i am now freed of my responsibilities and as a result i am taking two weeks off where i'm going to lay with a slightly moistened towel around my head until my zen is recentered. so yeah no good week happy days and uh yeah onwards and upwards excellent so well, on this day yes on the on this day um actually it was quite an interesting one it was one of those rare occasions where where there's a date in the calendar that hasn't actually that isn't interspersed with loads of um russia america or another country commit um act, um took part in a nuclear nuclear bomb test on this day um so that was strange um but I, I did kind of, I thought it was going to go one way as a theme, but it's actually gone another way. Oh. So let's let's see if you can you can think of the theme. So 1899, German uh, German uh, Ferdinand von Zeppelin receives a US patent for a navigable balloon. The old Graf Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah, hy- hydrogen was a mistake though, wasn't it? Um. Yeah, isn't that what we're about to put in all of our cars? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's slightly more. Um, more of a problem as a gas. Yeah, yeah, and again, it was. It, it's a lovely. It's a lovely thing of the time. So, bear in mind, you've got hydrogen, one of the most flammable gases in the world. There is a lovely. There was a lovely piece on the Antiques Roadshow a few years ago where they had the. Um, they had the lighter that had been on one of the great zeppelins which was chained to the table so that whilst you were smoking you couldn't take the lighter away from the table for safety reasons yeah what could possibly go wrong um um yeah um that's and you know and we worry about not being able to use our mobile phone on the airplane yeah yeah um as the line from the uh, pilot episode of the West Wing says, you think I can flummox this plane with something I bought from Radio Shack. Apparently Radio Shack is an American distributor of electronic consumer goods. 1986, the European Space Agency's Giotto flies by Halley's Comet at a distance of 605 kilometres. I love a bit of Halley's Comet. Is it Halley's or Halley's Comet? You're right. No, it is Halley's Comet. It's another one of these ones that's changed, doesn't it? I don't know. Um, like like Uranus, obviously not Uranus, but you, you know, well, I've changed. Who can say? Um, but yeah, Uranus now, isn't it? Or Bodicea, isn't it? He's not Bodicea anymore. Okay, Indica. moving on. Uh, Nineteen ninety-five, uh, the first time thirteen people um, in space at the same time. Oh, um, another little thing to make you think of, um, which wasn't on this day, but I'm cheating. Um, from November the second in two thousand, from that date. Not mm-hmm. all humans have been on the planet continuously because Ooh. because the International Space Station has been occupied continuously since that date. Oh, that's a that's a beauty. You, you pulled that one. Kind out, of think is. about that 
that's a there's a book um by one of the uh, by Scott Kelly um who did who uh, the American astronaut who did a year in space um and his book talks about his experience and it and it kind of talks there's there's some amazing things in there but actually he's later in the list so that's a bit of a spoiler 2016 NASA releases data showing February 2016 as the warmest month ever recorded globally with 1.35 degrees C's above the long-term average yeah not ideal is it someone someone had a moving range chart there didn't they yeah better better than a Lib Dem bar graph (laughs) please bar chart responsibly um and 2018, uh, NASA twin study finds that Scott Kelly is no longer identical to his twin brother after more than a year, after a year in space. So, um, what? two twin brothers, yes. both of them are American astronauts. One of them got selected to to do the um, year long space uh, space the International Space Station mission, but because seven percent of his genes have altered due to his extended stay in space, he's no longer genetically um, uh, an identical twin. Oh, I don't like that. That's that's whatever that's you do. People stuff. Do no, not, not start ha- looking that up on YouTube because you will end up in places you don't want to go, and before you know it, you'll be wor- working, uh, wearing purple tracksuits and licking your eyeballs. So, <laughs> so Obvious. there we go. So oh, um, that went, went off went into the stars. Us. I didn't think it was going that way when it started, but sometimes history just takes me to takes me to places I didn't think we were going to go. Yeah, reach for the stars. Yes. Um, um, what's it? What kind of fool would? Um, oh, hang on. I'm no. I'm not going to ruin the song by messing up the lyrics. I'm mean, definitely not going to sing it. So anyway, so that was that was our on this day. Um, talking of dates and timelines, before we get into the full council thing, should we mention our our hustings? Yes, biggest thing we've ever attempted, um, and well, I think it would be fair to say that we are equally enthusiastic and nervous about attempting this yeah so we we asked the good listeners who they wanted to hear from and we have we started on three we ambitiously thought we could do four but due to the nature of the voting we've ended up with five so it's going to be a bit of a cram for us to get them in but simon can you exclusively reveal which are the five worlds that we are going to try and have a virtual hustings for Yes, so this entirely depends on um, on actually people saying yes. Um, but the, the, the five wards that we decided we're going to have virtual hustings for, um, I feel like there should be a drum roll. How was that? Did that work? Yeah, that worked. Okay, um, Milton. Oh, I feel like I should come here. Kimberly Barrett. Keep Milton Green. Paul Rand Savage. Oh, vocal local activist been on with us for the old uh, both of those been on the uh, podcast before could be lively like that one uh yeah I- indeed um so um that'll be a, a good one to see and then next of course central south sea oh central south sea held by a superstar big hitter steve pitt voice of the people very big name in local politics were you is he in- to- is he invincible who can say? Were you trying to? I don't know what you were trying to channel there, but I've gone all darts announcer. Have you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, let's not go for the. Um, no, it wasn't a Hugh and Laurie sketch, was it? It was um, a. Yeah, indeed. Um, that's midnight saying, 
Shut up. Okay, and then next in our in our lineup of our top five is Paulsgrove. Paulsgrove, interesting ward, outgoing councillor, former Labour leader, one of the few independents left, had to stay the extra year. Our brother Ferret, again, friend of the pod, he steps out. Conservatives hold two of the three. They're going to want the full monopoly set, aren't they? But um, interesting local local independent challenger in that ward. So there's plenty to go for there. Okay, sorry, this is making me laugh. Um, East Ian Craneswater. Ian C, another two out of three ain't bad for the Conservatives, but Matt, bad boy Wennington. That's not really his nickname. Um, yeah, no. he's uh, obviously yeah. a very uh, a very eloquent campaigner. He's looking to retain his seat, so he will be fighting hard in that one. That one's got all the hallmarks of a doozy. Hang on. What's a doozy? It's a doozy, isn't it? That's, 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 what does, what does what that is. word mean? Cause it means it's just going to be a great event. Okay, I thought it meant something else. I don't know the etymology of the word. I could look it up. Um, I think we're talking about alternative meanings, um, but rather than etymology, but nonetheless. Um, and then the, the final, so bringing up the rear, is Charles Dickens. Now, here... Outgoing Stephen Morgan, MP, Labour Group leader. You've got to look at the other two seats held by Cal himself, friend of the pod, and Claire, oh, she calls herself Claire, Claire Udi, who formerly Labour, now sitting as an independent. So you'd think it was a Labour stronghold, but Charles Dickens, lowest turnout, always in the, uh, in the city. So if any of the major parties really make their mark there, could be anybody's game. You've done a really good job there. That's um, that's that's quite amazing. Oh, yeah, and I, I've, that's that was all the research that I did in advance, or I might have just busted it straight off the cuff. Uh, yeah, we'll I see. think um, yeah, mm, yeah, because you know, but um, but nonetheless, yes. So um, we shall be sending out invites. So if you are if you are a listener to and a follower of the podcast, and you are a um, you are um, an elector in one of those wards and you'd like to encourage um, the candidates, please feel free to contact them. Obviously, don't spam them with loads of email. We don't want them getting loads of, loads of hate. But, um, but uh, yeah, please do help them, in, uh, encourage them to um, to take part. We shall be reaching out. Um, and if there are any people that are listening that have links to the political parties, because there may be a couple of people that listen to the podcast that have links to the local political parties. I, I think I heard that rumour. Um, that... Um, um, any help that you can provide us in securing um, those those um, those esteemed guests would be fantastic. But we'll roll out. We'll start scheduling those um, over the next. Um, so basically, to happen in the next six weeks, because in the middle of those on April the eighteenth, what's happening on the April the eighteenth, other than it so being the day before our second anniversary? That is our um, police and crime commissioner hustings, where we have already secured two of the three main candidates we're just waiting for the third to come back to us so we are hoping that we will have a full house for that one as well so um yeah it is building up nicely and it it is a piece where you know again if you are a member of the local party and you know again simon and i are never shy about our affiliations but we do genuinely genuinely want these all of these uh, sessions to be a platform for all the candidates you know whilst we are 
you know, we, we have strong views ourselves. We really think this is an opportunity for the people of Portsmouth to, to ask questions of all of the candidates. So we would encourage everybody who is taking part to step forward and to join us in the virtual hustings, because if nothing more, it will give Simon so much fun trying to coordinate and orchestrate this rather than his usual role of just having to manage me. It's It's got to be. Which is really gotta easy. Got to be worth a go. <laughs> Yeah, um, if if I still have hair left by, by the time the election comes round, well, um, I just didn't try hard enough. Um, exactly. So yes, uh, please do take part, and we'll also be asking uh, asking you, the esteemed listeners, to suggest questions that we can ask to um, to the candidates at the hustings. And at the moment, our only criteria will be that any question that's asked has to be a question that is applicable to all of the candidates. You can't direct yes. a question at only one of the candidates. It has to be answerable by all of them. Correct. Okay. Well, it's, it's exciting and terrifying in equal measure. It's terrifying. Yeah. Did, did that I like work? It. I like it. We can go for that. As, as much as we have ear joyment, which I talk about when I when I post the link to the podcast. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. Um, no, 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 no. That wasn't. A, that was a. That was a yes of, of firm encouragement, rather than quizzicality. Okay. Um. I. Anyway, moving on. So, next week's full council meeting. After after being spoiled at the at the budget where there weren't any notices notices of motion, um. So that was done in 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 a in a swift. Three, three hours or, or thereabouts. Um, there are a handful of motions that require notice. And we pick three. Yes. One from each team. Yes. In, because we are fair and biased. Is that right? We're fair, fair and biased. biased. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, we well, accept. Yeah, we, I mean, to be we, fair, we, we, we both we recognise yeah. our own bias, yes. but are still fair. So, yes. well, I'd like to think so. Um, so, um, answers on a postcard, please, um, or if you'd like to write them on the back of a twenty-pound note and send that to me, that will also be fine. Um, okay. So, the first one that we wanted to talk about is um, is in motion A to fifteen A is the motion to support the climate and in the Climate and Ecology Emergency Bill. So this is being proposed by uh, Lib Dem Will Purvis and seconded by uh, Dave Ashmore. Good old Dave Ashmore, our friend from Fratton. Lovely Dave Ashmore. As um, and in, a, in a, the long and the short of it, there is a bill before Parliament, which is the Climate um, and Ecological Emergency Bill. Um, and... This motion effectively says, hey, the council's done some things to actually promote, um, to, um, to contribute in Portsmouth part, Portsmouth's part in reducing its carbon economy and to help limit um, the increase in worldwide temperatures to 1.5 degrees C um, and, um, and to take responsibility for um, the UK's consumption and production of, of emissions. And that includes those that are produced elsewhere um, for our benefits, so goods that are manufactured abroad and then shipped here, we also need Ooh. to take account for. Um, so we need to kind of take a bit of responsibility from that. So one could argue that maybe the 
the Britain going forward should be focusing on manufacturing at home, perhaps? I don't know. Well, um, I don't, you know well, you know my thoughts on manufacturing at home, Simon. Uh, yeah, but it's... my flat's not big enough. So, um, so basically, this motion says... Um, Look, the council leader has written to both of the MPs. Uh, we call on the, basically this is saying if the if the council passes the motion that the council resolves to public support the climate and ecological emergency bill, um, and ask group leaders to join the council leader in writing to MPs asking them to support the bill. As far as I know, um, and I'm and I'm happy to be corrected. Um, I'm not aware that either of the two local MPs have come out expressing support for the bill. There are apparently about 101 MPs that have expressed um, their support for the bill. Um, and uh, But yeah, in a sense, this is something before the local council saying, hey, we think that something that national government is doing, we should support it, even though we personally don't have a vote in it. Yeah, and I think this this the, the position on this one is is you know again it, it's one of the ones where you can look at it and say that you know again does it need to come to local council to say we should support something like this? I think it, it you know my hope with this one is it's going to get relatively quickly um, cross party support. And, you know, again, everyone will be happy to support it. And again, the devil is often in the detail. Again, one of the things I didn't realise is that, um, you know, particularly when it comes to power generation, that the UK is actually um, pretty much a world leader in the uh, in the renewables. Um, I was listening to the Economist podcast, very similar to ours, slightly more people working on it in research. But, um, yeah, the fact that um, regularly we turn off all of our um, all of our gas remaining gas fired power plants and run entirely on renewables. Uh, this is true. Um, I'm smirking because while you're saying that, um, I'm also mindful that the reason we have that is because um, Ed Davey, when he was minister, uh, sorry, when he yeah when he was minister for environment and climate change um, in the coalition government, um, managed to um, get the larger party in the coalition. You might be able to guess who they were. Better be us um, then. Um, to agree um, in literally quadrupling the amount of renewable energy gener generation in the UK, which is a fantastic thing. We, we're an island nation. We're surrounded by lots of wind. Why the hell um, we're bothering to import loads of oil from all over the world um, in order to, you know, burn bits of compressed dead dinosaurs in order to in order to power our um in order to power our iphones i don't quite know but um yeah that's a great success and long may it continue um so in that respect yes it's a really good thing the other thing that was making me smirk was um scott peter harris saying that um saying that i was right um i'm assuming he means about that neither neither of the local mps um have have signed up to support the bill um yes as, as of yet um, that might be what he was talking about, but um, me being right, it's bound to happen every now and then, I guess. So um, even by Bro chance, broken clock is right twice a day, mate. Indeed, but you'd probably have to explain that to most people now, because how many people actually have an analog clock? Well, I do. Of course, you do. and you'll you'll note that at seven o'clock when all the uh, all hell breaks loose. So um, yes. seven o'clock and all isn't well, um, or in our case, yeah. it's twenty-seven when we're still pressing um, broadcast. Um, Indeed. No, I don't, and I think the, you know, and again, we've touched on some of the stuff before, in terms of the sort of, you know, the the, the green revolution. It's that, uh, and again, the same podcast I was listening to said, you know, great strides have been made, um, you know, in 
the energy sector. Um, your next sort of big win is around it, it's building insulation and the amount of you know energy it takes to heat and maintain and cool buildings. And then the final bit, which is the the real big challenge, is all around transport. And that's the bit where if we are going to be net carbon neutral by 2050, that's the bit that's going to take some real, real tough thinking. Um, it is. I mean, there. Is, I mean, there's another. There's another key part of this legislation that um, that we haven't already covered, which is that one of the things that the government's been muting for quite some time um, is that um, <laughs> is that. But as people might have gathered, especially people, anybody that's lived in different parts of the country, it, um, it's kind of a bit of a hit and miss and a hotchpotch as to what level of recycling and what materials you can recycle in which municipal area that you live in, depending on whatever contracts or arrangements those particular councils have. Some councils have curbside glass collections. Some councils will collect all, um, all types of plastic, um, even though actually not all of them will actually be recyclable or indeed that will there be a market for those recycle, um, recycled materials. So there's questions about what actually happens to that, that, um, that material that's reclaimed. Um, so part of the bill was um, is meant to also address whether there should be a deposit and return scheme for things like glass bottles um, and whether requiring manufacturers to stick to a limited types of plastic that are easily recyclable and therefore you can make sure that what is if, if you can standardize the national at a national level what is being produced by manufacturers then it's then a, an easier thing for local authorities to invest in the right kit to standardise the level of what can be recycled. Um, and that, for me, is kind of a key thing because it seems like a bit of a chicken um, chicken and egg thing because Portsmouth of, of itself doesn't have any control over what Tesco used to wrap their, um, you know, wrap their products in. But the government yes. can legislate around that. The government can legislate about deposit and return schemes. It's funny how these things are cyclical, isn't it? Obviously, a lot of this kind of stuff was quite normal in the seventies. Um, you know, yeah, the old um, the old collecting the bottles and taking them back. Your your Corona, different Corona. <laughs> Again, your, your Corona was a, a, a fizzy lemonade. Well, I believe every bubbles past its physical was their. Um, was their tagline but yeah once you would finish with the bottle you would take it back and get your deposit yeah um so i think that you know there's there's some stuff that needs national legislation on um in order to make it work so that councils don't spend hundreds of thousands of pounds investing in kit that they don't actually need what's the point in investing in sortation equipment that allows you to separate out glass if the government then brings in a deposit and return scheme that wouldn't really be a yeah. good investment would it and it's an interesting one because I've followed this for some time. So if I go back to the sort of late 90s, um, I used to work in credit card manufacture legally. It wasn't like some kind of backstreet based arrangement. But we were very proud of our green credentials at that point because you're probably not aware. But when you make a credit card, you don't make them in ones. You make them in great big sheets. Yeah. Um, 35 on a sheet for us. And then you punch them all out. And then probably for about 20% of them, you then throw them away because they've got slight imperfections. Wow. Well, originally that went to, and of course, there's a 
what's called a skeleton, which is the sheet with all of them punched out, mm-hmm. which again, and we bought ourselves a, a fantastic shredder. And so we had all this stuff, which is PVC granules. And we were very proud that we recycled it. We were the first company to do so. But there was no market for it in the UK. So whilst we felt we were being ecological and green, all of our PVC chippings went into these big two-ton bags, Mm -hmm. which we then gave to a company who put on a ship and sent it to and the China, ship probably. went to China. Yeah. And the PVC was then made into sewage pipes in China. Okay. Which were then shipped back by ferry halfway across the world. Yeah. Better than putting it in landfill, but I'm not sure in terms of a carbon footprint. Yeah. It was and, entirely perfect. And I mean, that's the thing that market solutions will lead to an evolution of rather than a rev- an occasionally revolution of, of technical solutions, but sometimes there'll be legislation um, or tax incentives that will help incentivize a particular solution or a particular industry. Um, the trouble, of course, being that governments have a historically awful record in picking winners. Um, so, um, hang on, if we swapped roles, am I, arg- am I d- defending market-based solutions now and you're not? No, no, I'm, 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 I'm agreeing with you with your market-based solution. Oh, but I think sometimes it's about, it's about incentive, it's about making it just awkward enough, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I, I rem- it was probably about two, three years ago when we got our, we went to wheelie bins, and we got our recycling bin, and I remember grumbling at the time that the wheelie bin was the size of a crab's eye socket and was never going to take the household waste of four, you know, basically four adults, a dog and two cats living in a house. Well, you know, okay, sometimes it calls for a bit of bin-nastics to, to, to get the final bag in there and there's a bit of levering. But what I have found is that every two weeks, our two recycling bins are full. And before we had the sort of limited space of the wheelie bin, it was all too easy just to throw, you know, a couple of Coke cans and a bottle or two, you know, into the normal household waste. Well, that's about the dynamics of change, isn't it? Sometimes the motivator hmm. is because the new thing is so goddamn amazing that actually people will be flocking towards it. And sometimes actually the motivator for change is the current solution becomes inconvenient. Hmm. Um, that it that it therefore kind of drives change, and sometimes that's you know. So, do, are you pulling the change or are you pushing the change? Um, you know, one is obviously great because it's easier for people to fall in love with a fantastic solution. But the truth is that most solutions aren't miracle solutions, so they aren't um, aren't perfect. Um, but on the other hand, it's actually quite an unpopular thing to drive change by making something inconvenient congestion charges and parking zones are an example of that but let's not get on to them was that that was that is that the clock that is the analog clock that is um yeah 1941 it's a it's thing not, of great beauty it's 2021 no no it's a it's a 70 year old clock and what makes me sad is that it's, it's, uh, i'm going to digress here it's about recycling you know you can 
if I look at the cost of that clock, 70 years old, it's a beautiful piece of craftsmanship. It's an eight-day, it's what's called a half repeater. So it chimes the hours, it chimes the half hours. And it was it wasn't free, but it was. If you look at the quality of it, you know, you can go and buy a mantle clock that's 70, 80 years old, not that one, but you can get them for 20, 30 quid. And you think, well, you know, why would you go and buy a new one? Um, yeah, I, I, I can, I can kind of understand that. I have a, I have a similar attachment to my typewriter. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Really, really, so, really expensive yes. to ship through the post, but um, great because it's a distraction-free environment. Um, uh, but it, you know, it's not as easy on the fingers as my, as my, as my Apple keyboard is. Um, we're definitely not being sponsored by Apple, by the way. Um, oh. No. Um, so, so yeah. yeah I mean, uh, the, the recycling thing. The, the client. I mean, it, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, we don't have glass collection here um, yet. Um, but again, it drives entrepreneurial thinking. There is a company that put a note through my door a few weeks back that said, we're quite happy to do a curbside collection for your glass. We just want, it was either seven or 14 quid. It wasn't yeah. mega money, but it was, it was and, still. Yeah. And, that, and that's the weird thing is that so much has probably changed in the time that the existing contract that the council has with, is it Viola? Um, yes. The, you know the requirements of what councils need from them and their ability to change to it. That you know the, the, these are things that probably weren't even dreamt of when the, when the contract was was originally written. Um, but it's um, yeah, it's good to see. I mean, the food waste stuff is all really good. About forty percent of our waste apparently was food. That's crazy. Yeah, and we talk uh, about uh, we talk about food later on. Yes, see what, yes, we will. Yeah, no, no, there. and it, it is incredible. And and I think you know we had Reverend Amy on a couple of weeks ago, and you know the fact that if you look at the the Cosham larder runs entirely on excess stock from supermarkets. Yeah, um, and I went in there last week. Um, I decided to to go in and have a look. Came away with a you know nice old nice old bag of things, um, and. It's cra- it's crazy that these are things that the supermarkets don't want and are therefore giving to fantastic organisations like Cosham Larder um, to be able to um, that people can get to that you can sign up to without any referral or anything. You just need to live in the Cosham, Wimmering or Poolsgrove area um, and you can you can join them. But um, yeah, so that's I think that's enough on that bill. Should we? Um, yes. No. We... And and look, let's let let's do our own vote. Everyone's going to vote for it and say, hooray, it's good. And hopefully that one should pass by mutual assent. Well, hopefully hopefully so. It would be it would be interesting to understand what the logic behind, if the council votes for it, what the logic would be behind our local MPs not being in favour of supporting it. Yeah, I mean, obviously you'd expect Penny, because it's a government bill, to be behind it anyway. You know, Stephen uh, plays heavily on his green credentials. And so you, you know, unless it, it it's something in the wording that means that you can be yeah. difficult or churlish. So let's hope that's a, that's a red, blue, yellow, everyone agrees. Through we go. Right. Fantastic. What do we got next? So let's take a stab at vaccinations, shall we? 
So the next, Ooh, the next motion. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, so the next motion that we wanted to talk about was one from uh, from the blue team, which um, is and he's lost. I'm looking at the wrong thing in my OneNote. Um, so this is 15D. So it's a motion from uh, Costume Councillor Matthew Atkins and Councillor Donna Jones, um, of course, friend of the pod, um, and hopefully still enough of a friend to want to come and do the. PCC hustings um, that um, uh, basically to congratulate the government on the speed and efficiency of its rollout of the national vaccination program. Before we go forward with that, mm. Scott Peter Harris has just pointed out to us um, that the climate and environment bill is not a government bill; it's a backbenchers bill. Oh, so um, so it's not been it's not one that's been brought forward by the government. So thank you for that, Scott. Um, so, uh, yeah, to be fair, um, as motions go, actually quite, quite brief. Yes. Um, and we like that because, um, motions that take an hour to discuss that are basically about half a page of text aren't exactly the most exciting thing that you can do. Uh, do I do this or do I watch something on Netflix? Um, it's a difficult one, but, um, I can't, I mean, surely there's no one that's not going to be in favour of, isn't it a good news that the vaccination rollout is going so well? Well, it's a funny one, isn't it, this one? And and I'd, I'd use that because I think, and you will have seen in the early days of the pandemic, and I'd like to think I've been consistent all the way through, which is that, the, you know, by the time we got probably to sort of, May, June, July last year, a lot of the internet was absolutely convinced the government are doing a terrible job, it's shambles, it's dirt. you know, a very high death toll, challenges around PPE, the government have absolutely got it wrong, it's a shambles. And my position has always been, we won't know how the government has done until the game is over. And there is an element of once the whole game has been played out we will look back at it and there will be things that we could have done better and there will be things that we did really really well and when we compare ourselves against other nations in the world we'll find that there are things that they did much much better than us and there are things that they didn't do anywhere near as well. So you're going to have to look at it holistically, and the time for doing that is probably the early part of next year. Um, yeah, I kind of think you've... Yeah, I, I, to be fair, I think that's kind of like skipped off the... Skipped off the topic for me. Yes, of course, well, no, we should be, so, we should be so, grateful that the, that the vaccination programme is going so well. It is. That that and, in and of itself is um is a marvel. Um, it would be too easy for me to score political points by pointing out some of the things that are really really obvious about it going well versus other things that haven't gone so well. Um, I just think that do you know what it's going well. I've got mine actually next Saturday, um, which I'm quite surprised about. Um, apparently, I've got an underlying health condition. That means that I'm I'm entitled to, to get one uh, to get one now, um, so I am grateful that the NHS and it's the NHS that are doing this. The NHS 
are doing a fantastic job in getting this vaccination to as many people um, as quickly as it possibly can. And and so herein lies, and, and the reason why I framed it thus mm-hmm. is that, yes, it's the NHS, it's the Army Logistics Corps, there are lots of moving parts involved, but there is also an, a, an element of government, which is that the contracts that we signed to get us the volume of vaccine that we've got and the agility of the MHRA in terms of getting it getting it approved very, very early has all helped. But I guess the reason why I framed it within that sort of narrative of I wasn't prepared to join in with the sneerers earlier in the piece is that yes this is a high point within our within our journey with the pandemic and it is a fantastic you know result it is it's world leading it is fantastic but I think what I'm trying to say is that we have to temper that in the you know I'm I'm prepared to celebrate it and we should all this way this is another one where we should all agree and nod it through but if i'm being balanced and fair and the point you hinted at we've there have been some areas where we've outsourced things like track and trace and it's been an absolute disaster it's so been, yeah um kind I, of you, you for me you've cluster. always got to sort of you've got to i, I want to be balanced in yeah. this yeah indeed um i um, but I mean, that's why. Without, to be honest, and I, I'm I'm fighting desperately, trying not to kind of make political point scoring out of this issue. Because the idea is, are we grateful that the NHS is doing a fantastic job of getting this vaccine into the arms of as many people as it has done? Yes, we are. Is that a feat and a sight to behold? Yes, it yes it bloody yep. well is. Um, yes, I I agree that the government, for all of the things that they've got wrong with their contracting um, to people that don't actually have any expertise. The contracting that they've taken place on uh, with the uh, with the manufacturers of the vaccines um, has definitely uh, definitely appears to um, they definitely appear to have done that better than, um, for example, than the, the EU did. Um, ha- have to be, you know, that, let, let's yeah. be honest about that. And, uh, so again, so in, in I've, that got, I've got a I've got a little inside track on that, okay. which is a, a, an ex colleague of mine um, who was very. You know, he was very blunt with me that as a Belgian, he he was very disappointed at having to, you know, not in any anti-UK feeling, but the fact that he had to keep putting the next batch to the UK and the next batch to the UK and the next batch to the UK, and then one could go to the EU um, because that's the way that the contracts were structured. So, and I guess that's where my balance is. I I don't want to overcrow about this, but it has been a... It has been a stellar response um, that that will hopefully lead us to to normality. And you know, on the weekend where we hear potentially about you know the the rates rising in Germany, in Italy, in France, um, you know, and and potentially them going into and possibly another lockdown, um, I'm very sad for them. You know, and that's where, as I say, you know, they they may have played to use a sporting analogy they may have played the first half better than we did but perhaps we're 
doing better in the second half. So for me, this this motion, I think it's absolutely right to recognise all the fantastic people that are involved. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to get over Crowey because... Okay, and I, and I appreciate that. And let's hope that the celebration and gratitude extends as far as giving nurses in the NHS more than a 1% pay rise. That is a whole other ball game. It is, but, you know... Uh, Councillor Terry Norton's just jumped in with um, expecting the amendment to be uh, sorry, expecting the this to be amended to death. So we we shall see on Tuesday um, how many how many amendments get thrown at it. Um, I didn't look at actually because the amendments are actually should already be posted, shouldn't they? Um, but I didn't have a look. But let's see how the how the conversation goes. Um, so um, yeah, I think I think your point is that um, the long term lessons will need to be. Le- there are some serious. Um, and very grave long-term lessons that that need to be learned from that from the whole experience. This part of the of the experience is something that we should um, that we should be pleased about. But it, uh, I agree with you. It's not uh, it's not the right thing to be crowing about it and to wrap yourself in a flag um, and start getting all teary-eyed um, about you know about um, you know lands of hope and glory. Because at the end of the day. Hundred, you know, over one hundred and twenty thousand yeah, people yeah. Have, have have um have lost their lives. So Ex- um, exactly yeah. that. So a bit so, of decorum, and let's hope, and I do genuinely hope that, uh, and to my, you know, the 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 only suitable response to this proposal from the other two parties is, amen, and let's just move it through. Any kind of attaching amendments about for me would be would be churlish and I'll, I'll personally i'll be disappointed at them i'll have my disappointed grown-up face on if they do you'll have your disappointed face on yeah shall i shall i shall i let gerald know yeah yeah if you tip him off that i will be personally very disappointed with ian him. will be i'll say gerald ian will be cross with you yeah yeah, I, I might not be as far as go as far as cross, but I'll be pretty disappointed, and I shall tut at him at that point. <sighs> okay. Oh well. So let's hope it doesn't come to good that. Good grief! Eh? Something as strong as a tut. Good God! Exactly. Um, um, such drama, such drama. So let's move on to our um, so to our last uh, motion, which is the one being put forward uh, by. Uh, Labour councillors uh, Tom Coles and Cal Corkery, which is about the right to food. Um, so this motion calls on the council to uh, to basically say that um, to call for a right to food to be incorporated into the national food strategy. And the national food strategy is um, basically a body that is looking at what the nation's approach to actually um, to food should be and and is currently deliberating uh, upon that yep. um and it's um it's a body that basically kind of asks us the questions about you know what sort of um what sort of approach do we want to have to to our food bearing in mind that um you know three out of ten um, uk adults who are obese 15 percent of bad diet sorry 15 percent of deaths are a cause of bad diet um in the uk a half of um a half of farmland birds have been lost, 97% of wild flower meadows have been lost, and half of our ancient woodland um, has been lost. So what sort of arrangement do we want to have with what sorts of types of food mm. in order to provide food that's healthy, 
for the population and healthy for the planet and that is kind of how that how that kind of conversation frames um and the motion um calls um calls out actually the consistently high levels of um of food poverty uh, talks about the trestle trust um, reporting reports that um an 81 percent increase in emergency food parcels from food banks um during the two weeks of March 2020, the last two weeks of March 2020, compared to the previous year, and a 122% rise in parcels given to children as the coronavirus pandemic um, continued to unfold. Um, so, uh, yeah, in January 2020, 25% of the children in the city were entitled to free school meals. So that kind of gives you an idea of what kind of the yep. local uh, local level. So, um, what's your what's your thoughts on this one, then? Well, I find this a fasc- this this one is a fascinating motion, um, because at its heart, you know, no one should go hungry. We can all agree on that. Yep. You know that that is a no brainer. But the motion is couched in the language of it's a disgrace for the sixth richest country in the world to be over people poor. So. This is an interesting one from a political standpoint because there is an element of everyone agrees on the end state. No one should go hungry, particularly a child. The question then falls into the, well, how do you ensure that that happens? Because we do have a welfare state. And that welfare state provides, I think it's £23 a week to everyone who earns under £50,000 for their first child and around £15 a week for subsequent children. So irrespective of, you know, if, you know, this isn't about talking about the poorest in society or people on benefits or so that the government makes a provision to ensure children are fed. It then makes a secondary provision with the free school meal programs to make sure that the poorest in society, that the, the child gets a school meal for free every, you know, every weekday. So th- there are mechanisms within the welfare state that should mean that people are getting food so i guess the question is if that system doesn't work and doesn't get people food what do you replace it with i i mean to be fair your presumption relies on that food is the only thing people on universal credit would be spending it on no, 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 it wasn't because I, I, I stayed away from that. I um, said that, and that, you know, they're 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 finding that access to that level of support. Yes, thankfully, compared to other countries, we have a welfare state in this country. I think there are probably many, uh, many ways in which our our system can be improved. Um, but at a at a basic and a fundamental level. You agree with what the you agree with what the idea is, which the concept is that no, you know, and you know, twenty first century, sixth most richest richest popular um country on the planet, 
There's absolutely no reason why, if we call ourselves a civilised society, children should be going hungry. The question is, how do you make sure that that is realised? Um, and I don't know that, to be honest, without knowing the... Because some of that is going to be... some is, is some of that really simple? The parents don't have enough money. Right? Is some of that actually more complex in the sense of there are other extenuating circumstances that mean that the parents are either incapable or unwilling, um, sadly, in a, in a, and I'm sure in a minority of cases, to um, to be able to kind of look after their, you know, to look after children properly? Is it that they don't have the skills that are necessary to, you know, to, to you know, to, to feed them properly? I, I don't know, and I, I, I worry about the, a desire to find a simple answer, but really all this motion is saying hey, we should actually ask that a right, that basically a fundamental human right of access to food should be included in what the government's national um, I, national food policy is. Well, absolutely. And I think that the, the trouble for me, though, Simon, is that, the, that for me, the, 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 there, are, there is no guarantee in terms of getting people food. You know, for me, the most, the, the most logical way of of doing that would be that you know if we are talking about benefits and i don't mean that in means tested benefits you know so we could look at you know the child allowance or you know is that that is a that becomes a food-based provision now you then get the situation as we you know as we touched on when we spoke with the reverend amy about well you know is there a stigma surrounding that um, and the answer is that there, there may or may not be. And I guess if it, if it was the fact that, you know, if perhaps child benefit was paid in, I don't know, food vouchers or paid via some mechanism where it could only be spent on food, then, you know, I'd be very comfortable with that. I think the piece which I find very uncomfortable about this motion is the is this linking to the sixth richest country narrative which is that's a measure of gdp and a measure of activity within an economic system that isn't the government having the sixth biggest pile of gold in the world which it can then hand out hither and yon to the citizens of its nation to ensure that they feed that you know that they feed themselves and their offspring. Um, it's hard to understand whether your argument is financial or um, or freedom based, bearing in mind that you actually agreed with the over overarching principle of the policy. So, I, 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 um, as I say, I, I'm I'm reluctant to draw complex conclusions out of an issue that I don't know enough about. Um, and it would be more um, irresponsible to try to under to try and figure out what the solutions might be if I don't actually understand what the problem is. So yep. I, I'm going to do that rare thing of saying I don't know enough about this to think that I that I'm in a position where I can pontificate on what the problems are or indeed what the solutions might be. Um, but I do. I, I mean, I, I agree with the basic thrust of the motion that actually, if we are if if our supposed national wealth is it means anything to the people that live in this country then it should be that actually we maintain a, a certain level of um a certain standard of living and i'm you know i'm talking about people 
being able to have access to food well, yeah, um, and being but... able to have access to um, to comfortable uh, accommodation. And if we assume, and to kind of, to parrot back your original opening response, everything else is about is about defining the mechanism by which you address those issues. But if fundamentally you agree that in the sixth most... No, no, I, do, I, so I don't. I, yeah. I wouldn't care if we were the sixth or the tenth or the fifteenth or the twenty-first. Right. But part of your argument was that about uh, about affordability, it isn't that we can't afford to do it. It's about a choice. And the choice is, do we find a way to fix this, to address it, to make sure that the safety net works better, or or do we not? And I think that's what the motion is trying to do. It's trying to do it in the in the way it's framed in the way that, to be fair, the people that have proposed the motion, we're always going to frame a conversation about this subject. Um, but if we all agree that actually we can't really call ourselves a decent society if we if we actually have children starving um, in our society, that's you know that's something that we all agree that shouldn't be happening, and we want to do something about it. Then then I, let's move on and start understanding what the what the issues are and how we might solve them. Well, and I think the reason why I raise it, Simon, is because it, it is couched in the language. And the language, and I've, I've read the motion, is about ideological choices over the last 40 years. And it's it's couched in what I believe is is a lie, which is that there is infinite money to address this issue. And if only the government would just hand out more money, then this issue would go away. And to your point, I I, I I don't know enough, but I am 87.3% certain that just giving more money out hasn't solved the problem. But to be fair... And it won't the, solve the problem. But but neither the, neither the motion or the review that it talks, that it speaks to um, address is suggesting at this point that that is a solution. So I, I, I don't know it, how useful it is to, to latch onto that as a as a as a as a as a solution that won't work when it isn't a solution that's being proposed well and i think i guess if we look at the if we look at the language of the previous two motions the previous two motions have said the first one says this is a problem we need to solve it there is no attempt to apportion blame the second motion says this is an excellent thing, we should celebrate it. The third motion says because of the hideous nature of the arrangements going forward and the continual neglect of the government, yeah, 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 which is why, and this is where for me from a politics standpoint, this is where I, I use it to illustrate where things can go horribly wrong because there's an element of you know, the motion basically says it's all Simon's fault. We need to fix this where we all agree that we need to fix it. But you're asking me now to vote for a motion that says it's all Simon's fault, which I'm not prepared to do because it isn't all Simon's fault. Yeah, but to be fair, the the, the previous motion about the vaccination isn't as quote unquote innocent as, as you suggest. Because it says it says nothing about thanking the NHS. It says about thanking the government. Um, and um, yes, I'm sure they had some part in to play of allowing the NHS to do its to do its job. 
But at the end of the day, it's the NHS NHS delivering the vaccination program, isn't it? It's not the millions upon millions of doses more than the other countries around the world to put in people's arms. So if if we want to congratulate the government for doing something right, we should be criticising them for doing something bloody terribly wrong. Yes. And and but we want to we want to we want to we want to kind of pass that off to some point in the in the future when the mistakes are quite clear and bloody obvious to anyone. Well, I think to be be fair, you've you've you and your your political counterparts have said their piece all through the year, um, all through the last sort of year to eighteen months. As I say, I've always, I've always maintained a position of neutrality, which are the things will do badly, there are things will do really well, there are things will do terribly, and only when all of those things are known. Hence, I haven't been doing my, who celebrate good times dance around the vaccination piece in terms of the government. But I think ultimately this this, you know. Let's look at it. This, this, you know, this proposal. I, I can't see it being defeated. I could see the Conservatives um, abstaining because of the tone and rhetoric that frames the problem as being one of the government's making, um, which is a shame because I think ultimately, if we, if you strip that out and said as it does in the last paragraph about the work that's being done to look at the national food strategy and we should be endorsing that and make sure that we support that to deliver the outcome i think everyone else would vote for it in a heartbeat uh if only everything was that simple i guess yeah and that is the nature of politics isn't it and with <laughs> oh, and, and with only what six seven weeks to go um before the local elections all time is upon us do you want to just finish with a quick guess as to what time this one will finish um i'm reluctant to because obviously we both got the budget one horrendously wrong um but i i'm gonna say if this because this part of the this part of the agenda is starting i think at 2 30 Yep. So um, I'm going to say that it's going to finish uh, about 10.45. I'm going for 11.27. Okay. Anyone Note else it the, down. Any, anyone else in the comment section want to higher or lower? Exactly. So you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I've been Simon Sansbury. And there we are. I'm scrabbling for the button now. There's a song in that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, Feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. stop. See? It's easy. <laughs>